Welcome back, and thank you for subscribing and joining us for our unique look inside the Campbell Women's Basketball Program. I'm your host, Evan Budrovich. Excited to talk in this episode about something that's right up my alley and very important in the development of a student athlete. Today, we learn more about the modern advancements in training and strength development with the Director of Olympic Sports Performance here at Campbell in Alex Keough. He's directly involved with the women's basketball program as the head strength coach for the team. He just completed his third season with Ronnie Fisher and the staff and is vital in the holistic development of these student athletes. So let's jump right in and learn more with Alex Keough. Since your background is in training athletes, I'm always curious because during this time, my favorite exercise has been a lunge or a push-up or, or things like that. How have your players adjusted to that? How have these girls, you know, gotten used to all that with different types of training? Yeah, man, I think it's it's just you have to, right? Like, it's especially, you know, we were in quarantine for, for such a long time, right? So you get an hour a day where, where you break up the monotony. I think, I mean, at least for me, that was probably one of the best part of my days. Right. And so, you know, obviously we're not squatting, we're not deadlifting. Uh, a lot of people don't have equipment, but I think, you know, we were able to communicate some really useful modalities, get them outside, uh, obviously getting outside during this time, getting some vitamin D super, super important. Um, we were, you know, doing a lot of sprints, a lot of uh, just body control work. And I think, you know, it also allowed some of our, our players a little bit of time to kind of like rest up and, and recuperate. And, you know, as you know, basketball is a long season, man. I mean, we had how many games have we played before we got shut down? We were at least over 30. Right. Um, and they're on campus, you know, a good portion of the year training. So um, while we did adapt and, and, you know, provide different exercises and more body weight type uh, movements, I think that actually ultimately hopefully provided some benefit um, in regards to, you know, recuperation and just reacquiring movement skills that may have been um, messed with due to just a long, long season. If you don't mind maybe giving us a little bit of a sense of that, because during the year, obviously, the workouts are, are tiered to, to maybe get athletes more ready to play or, or develop some uh, recovery type tactics where you're not trying to max out or, or things like that. So how do you manage some of that as you're going through a long four or five month season like we just completed? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, uh, the, one of the most important things to me is developing rapport with the athletes. I think we create a trust and an understanding of, of both where they're at and where I'm at on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I communicate with them frequently uh, we provide wellness questionnaires and we, we get uh, session RPEs and, and kind of just get a general idea of how loading parameters uh, dictate how that day kind of goes. Right. So um, there's always going to be a plan, but that doesn't mean that the plan is always going to be what we do. Um, I, I like having the players input. Um, I truly believe that they know how they feel the best. And I, we have a team that works so hard and I feel is so trustworthy that when they tell me, you know, how they're doing that day, I feel like I'm getting a straight answer. Um, and I think that kind of allows me to provide a higher level of service in regards to exercise prescription or recovery modalities or, you know, mobility, stability, whatever it happens to be for the day. Um, and so that's, yeah, like just long story short to answer your question, collect data, communicate frequently, uh, create trust and understanding and just kind of move from there. I know this past year, we all had the pleasure of kind of interacting with, with some of the veterans and, and Haley Barber and Kiana Spate, the older players who could take charge 
What's that dynamic like from your standpoint? Because obviously you're asking their input, but, you know, sometimes maybe the freshman doesn't want to speak up on those things, and you might have to go to the, the senior to get their thoughts on the collective team. No, that's a great question. I think you, you answered it right there. Is like, obviously, there's going to be different levels because we have players in the program um, longer than others, right? So I think, first and foremost, the veterans are going to be very important uh, communication pieces for me, right? I, I trust them immensely, um, and it just they, they helped a lot in terms of, you know, leadership, getting a feel for the team, uh, the flow of sessions even. Like, I, I even would create situations that would help them coach, you know. Like, they, I, I would get them to run sessions, you know, because that creates leadership. Um, that creates trust and buy-in with their teammates. Um, but, yeah, man, massively important to just getting the general feel for the team. And that's not to say that, that our freshmen or younger players are – are less important. I think it may just be something that they're not necessarily used to um, from a coaching perspective is like, yo, give me some input. How are you doing today? And I think maybe they look at me like I'm crazy because that's never really been uh, something that they're used to. But I think, you know, over time we can build anybody into uh, a more, you know, trusted leader in that sense. I'm curious as well, because you mentioned that conversation with an athlete and, and and I've been in the weight room with you with a bunch of different teams and there's kind of a, a tone or, or sort of a message that gets sent the second a team walks in. What is that like w- with women's basketball where obviously they're, they're working hard and they're following Ronnie's structure from that side of things, but when they come to you, what's that dynamic like when they walk in the room with you? I think I really I, – I just – I want to – obviously we're playing a lot of basketball, right? We work super hard. We get after it. Like the girls are super tough, and, you know, I, I, I appreciate the work that they put in. I think – trying to find a way that we're going to be intense and we're going to get after it in here. But I also want it to be a little bit of, for lack of a better word, an escape, right? Like, yo, we got 35 minutes or we got an hour, depending on what time of the year it is. Like we're going to make the most of it, but we're also going to have fun uh, and just create an energy where, you know, if they practiced, you know, multiple days in a row like maybe maybe the weights is you know breaks up a little bit of that monotony and i think we can create some massive benefit from making an environment here that they look forward to being in that's a great point alex because i think sometimes we at least from the outside looking in lose perspective on yes of course they're practicing and they're studying and they're they're going to class and all this but you got to mix in strength training too you know it's not just an off-season thing it's it's so much as important in the season and and I'm wondering from your perspective how much fun that is to try to mix in a training session in, let's say, August when they first get here to, you know, possibly in, in January where they're trying to get ready for three games in a week. And then you also balance the, the summer session where they're literally just trying to get stronger and develop those, those core, uh, core strength and things of that nature for the season. Yeah, no, I think it, it's, it's always fun because there's always a problem to solve, right? And a problem isn't a bad thing. Uh, a problem just provides opportunities to create solutions, right? So depending on the time of the year, there's a different problem, whatever the goal happens to be for that day. Obviously, it's going to change in season and and out of season, but ultimately we're trying to develop athletes long-term. So that day is just a small piece of a really long puzzle, right? A really large puzzle. So it, man, it's awesome. Like it, it really is like, how does this fit in the long term? It's not about one acute day in here. It's about piling up as many exposures as we can to develop whatever qualities we are trying to develop. 
And that's what I love about it because I mean, we'll pull back the curtain. I, I try to get in the, in, the, in the workout sessions in the morning and, and try to get in that gym and, and go arena before all the kids get in. And, you know, I've had the pleasure sometimes of seeing Ronnie and, and Pierre and the staff join the players for some of those workouts, not only on the track when you're training them out there, but in the weight room. And my, my question would be, how does that all mix together? Because obviously you want a coaching staff to give input and, and to work with you, but you also want them to kind of push the players to enjoy the workouts. And I feel like that takes place with this program. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's one thing that I, I greatly appreciate about this staff is their, their buy-in to what we're doing in here is second to none. Right. So they come in, they check on the players, they come in and give everybody a high five. You know, sometimes the, you know, they'll stay the whole session and cheer everybody on. I mean, I think it shows the level of buy-in and the level of care of the staff. And, you know, I think it's vice versa, right? Like I, I go to every game. I try and travel as much as possible with, with other teams, obviously want to be there and show support. And so, you know, it kind of shows that the coaches and support staff are, are a team, you know, are, we're a unified front. And I think when, when the players see that too, they're like, man, you know, they, they really do care. And I think that does set, you know, this group apart from others that I've been around throughout my career. Alex, you have a neat background because, of course, you played in college. You were a college goalkeeper at UC Riverside, the Highlanders, one of my favorites being out from California. But Go Highlanders. Yeah, you've, you've been all over the map with different sports and working not only with football players, soccer players, I mean, you name it, Olympic sports up and down the nature. So when it comes to training basketball players specifically, what, what are some of the nuances that you work with on that day-to-day basis like you talk about that you're trying to implement with those you know girls in this case that maybe it's a little different than a football player or a tennis player or you name it yeah I mean I think one of the first things is that we as sports performance professionals working with the sports that we cover have to take a step back and realize that you know while we love training um our athletes may not necessarily may not necessarily be their favorite thing right so understanding that I think allows me to kind of gather information individually right so basketball athletes are obviously going to be a little bit different uh longer levers um you know different body types not everybody's going to fit in whatever your you know quote-unquote go-to exercise is so i think i have to be able to adapt to them right we have you know we may have a 5-4 guard we may have a 6-3 post player right they don't need to be trained the exact same way there's different demands um, of their position. There's different demands within our system. Um, and I think it's just me knowing as much as possible team, system, uh, competition schedule, practice schedule, athlete body type, um, and just, you know, try to put all those in together to make a, the best decision possible. It sort of feels like you're a sous chef, kind of managing the ingredients. You're managing how many tablespoons of this. You know, do I add a little paprika or spice or mix it in? I feel like it's kind of fascinating. Just, you know, obviously you're balancing so many different teams, but you're also, you know, in this case, balancing 15 student athletes that could have 15 different training regimens. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think having them so so frequently because it's a mass priority in our in our team, and you know, I see them a good chunk of the season, it allows me to kind of understand how, how things fit with, you know, them as individual athletes. Obviously there's always going to be overarching principles of our system and that's going to be, you know, aligned with what our coaching staff uh, sees and, you know, I see and everything like that. Um, You know, but I think 
I think it's just a matter of finding the right choice for the right athlete at the right time. When you're in the midst of a season, you know, for people who may not know, a lot of the strength coaches you get to travel, they're right there on the bench. They're with the team with an athletic trainer like a Kelly Florio, for example, and and you guys are just as big as supporting the team as anybody. So when you're watching a game from the bench, and I know you're a former athlete, I know you're competitive and you love to see them win, what's that like as someone training with these kids and getting them ready, and then basically you sit back and are kind of a cheerleader almost and, and just absorbing it all in during the game? Yeah, no, that's that, that might be, I don't know, it's probably my favorite part, to be honest. I think we work so hard, and just to kind of see everything come to fruition, um, you know, you develop relationships and, and, you know, I care about these kids a lot. Like they're, they're, they're all awesome in their own unique way. And I think watching them succeed uh, and, you know, work as hard as they possibly can competitively is, is awesome. Um, I don't sit on the bench because I have a really loud voice. So I tend to typically stand further back in the concourse. Um, You know, I just, I'm not trying to, uh, (laughs) to draw any attention to myself. But yeah, I, that is it's it's really really fun. No, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because of course in any sport there, there's always you know a strength coach there and you see it. But in basketball, literally either right there on the bench or like you mentioned, you know a couple feet behind, right in that corner. So before the game, people who may not get there early, there there is sort of a a pre warm up session to kind of activate different muscles and, and get players ready. So if if you don't mind, what what are some of the things you're trying to get out of those sessions? with the student athletes, you know, in, the, in this case, about an hour, maybe an hour, 15 minutes before the game when you're getting them loose and, and starting to really get them warmed up for a game. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, it's pretty straightforward, right? Like we want to increase core body temperature. We want to get our, our tissues moving the right way. Um, I want to, you know, mobilize, uh, create stability in patterns that we are going to see upcoming after the warm up, Right. So, that might not necessarily be the game because the warm-up is an hour before the game. So I have to warm them up for the next step in their warm-up, which is usually after I get them um, some kind of layup or, or shooting drill. Um, so we have to be moving at a relatively good pace. We have to be able to start and stop. We have to be able to jump. Um, but we also have to be able to do that, uh, you know, without just jumping in cold and, and letting a rip, right? Like, I think it's it's just part of the process of You mean a couple, a couple of high knees and some jumping jacks won't do it anymore, like back in yeah, you know, 1996? Like, <laughs> do some hamstring stretch, you know, and we're good to go. No, I mean, we have to we have to progressively increase the complexity of the movement of the warm-up so that we're prepared for what's next. No, that's a great point, and, and I sort of joke with that because, you know, growing up a lot of times when you don't have the training or the background, there's a lot of, okay, touch your toes and, and let's do, I don't know, five – forward and backs like we're Michael Phelps with our arms and and that's the warm-up but yeah I'm glad you mentioned it because especially in a long basketball season whether it's a practice or a game that part of your job is something maybe people don't see as much but but could be equally as important to avoid injury or at least to get the players kind of warmed up and ready to go no absolutely and I think it's it's a massively important part right like I think I think a lot of the time we overlook the warm-up as an opportunity to create a training quality, right? Even if it's before a game, like if we're just, we're working on some neuromuscular control or some proprioception, that's something that in the long term, if we continue to expose them to, we can actually create solid adaptation uh, over time, right? So a lot of the time we'll go through the warm up and it just seems like kind of going through the motion and doing whatever, like that's not what it's about, at least in my, my point of view. 
Alex, I've always wanted to ask you about working with different sports because, you know, obviously women's basketball is a big part of your job, but you'll, you'll spend a large part of your fall with, with two soccer programs and helping out with football and running around here, there, and everywhere and, you know, plugging holes with, with your department. So when you get that individual meeting with, with Ronnie Fisher kind of before the year, what's that conversation like just in terms of – now you've been with him a couple of years now, but – just learning what he wants to get out of the training program, you know, explaining your side of things and then finding that happy medium. Yeah, no, and that's absolutely it is, um, you know, I, I value his feedback massively. I value any of my coaches feedback massively. It's their team that I'm supporting, right? Like, of course, okay. I'm the expert in sport performance, but my job is to understand their system, their language, their terminology, um, what they're they're doing and what they're looking to accomplish and then apply my expertise in a manner that will best fit that system. You know, it's not it's not about what my philosophy is. It's about aligning my my toolbox uh, with, you know, their team and coaching philosophy so that I can provide the highest level of service. That That is very important. And and Alex, when it comes to women's basketball, you've you've had a few years under your belt now with this program. What has it been like just obviously being a piece of that development, but seeing let, – let's take a player like Taya Bolden who who came in kind of raw, kind of young, and, and now is an all-conference type rebounder and, and tough and gritty and, and seeing like an Ashland Hampton or, or someone like that who you kind of got to touch early on as a freshman and here they are now getting ready for their final season. Uh, it's, it's awesome. I think just seeing the work that they put in, I, it, it's very admirable, um, you know, because they come in every day regardless of – of how they're feeling or regardless of what's going on outside of here. And they, they always give it their best in, in whatever we're trying to do. And it's, it's, I don't, I don't even have to ask them to do it. They're, they're just, you know, they just, they get after it and they, they motivate themselves and, you know, just seeing how their ability to move, how their strength, how those things have improved over time and allowing them to, you know, be successful on the court is, is awesome. Alex, from from your standpoint, just personally, I want to touch on what you know your background and where you've come from a little bit. It, it has to be neat as someone who who played soccer and was an athlete in all different sports. But are, are there a lot of skills and, and maybe just body movements that translate from, in your case, being a goalkeeper to to playing basketball? I'm thinking more of the horizontal movements and some of the explosiveness that you, you sort of need. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Again, it's it's going to depend system wise, positionally, um, and and among our athletes but yeah absolutely staying low moving laterally that that's a that's a big component of our system i mean our our defense is obviously one of the things that we're known for uh, but then obviously then the ability to uh create force quickly like right? we got to go get a rebound we got to move laterally and then taking all those things in the component and then trying to trying to train them three-dimensionally you know how how is that going to carry over to the court I mean, you know if we're just squatting or we're just deadlifting or we're just just bench pressing are we increasing our capacity to express those movements that you mentioned? Like, so I think trying to find ways to get all of those things done, um, you know, is, is massively important. And, and just seeing the parallels and the similarities are also are really there. Now, if people Google search you at UC Riverside, they probably won't recognize you because of the beard you've developed in the last four to five years. But I, I do want to ask you about that a little bit because, you know, every person has their own kind of personality and branding to it. And I really think the facial hair for you has – built a level of toughness and, and almost uh, some, something that kind of brings authority to it. it, it how have you, what have you enjoyed about it, growing it out? And it, 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 gosh, it's almost past your chin now and, and getting close to, you know, your chest almost, just having that grow out over the years. 
it it started really like just because I didn't like shaving. Um, and so where I, where I was previously working uh, at Seattle U, um, we had a no facial hair policy for the players, right? And I never bothered to ask. I just assumed that that applied to staff members. But one day I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let this go. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. And I talked to my head coach and he was like, no, man, He's like, you can do whatever you want. It's like, you're an adult. So I was like, cool. I'm now there's no turning back. I'm going to let this thing go. And uh, shaving is not the most fun thing in the world. So, you know, why not? Why not just man, I'll just be like ZZ Top here in, you know, like a couple more years. Yeah, I, I was going to say that. And if you could just get some hair on the back with a ponytail, you'd really have it rocking, you know, especially in these quarantine uh, facial hair things that going on. You would you would definitely be my, my pick. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that, that's funny that you mentioned that because I, I currently have not cut my hair uh, the whole time during quarantine. As you know, I typically keep it relatively short. Uh, but I decided to try something new, so we'll see where it ends up. But I currently have uh, have much more hair than normal. No, that that's great, and why not at this point? Um, Alex, you have some experience, at least for a, a few short years when you were in the Pacific Northwest, uh, training athletes for the NFL draft with uh, end zone athletics. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, obviously, of, of getting athletes prepared for those moments. But what did you appreciate or kind of learn from that experience working with the highest level of athlete and getting them ready for that next step? Man, I think it, it's, it's unique, right? Because you're not necessarily preparing them for a competition. You're preparing them for an event that involves multiple different athletic tests, right? So thinking that way is much different than typically thinking as a sports performance coach, right? Cause we're typically engineering things backwards from the competition and what's required from there right but because there's no competition it's just a battery of tests you're actually kind of reverse engineering from the battery of tests and that becomes the main focus so thinking about you know techniques to improve a tenth of a second from your pro agility or your 40 yard dash or whatever it is instead of thinking long term of how am i going to help this athletic development occur it's it's it, I mean, it was about eight to 12 weeks for, for the dudes that we had. Um, but yeah, it's, it's much different in that aspect. No, that's gotta be neat because even at the local level of Campbell, you see a pro day, you watch it on NFL network and, and you're right, a three cone drill, a 40 yard dash, an explosive jump off a cone, everything's so different, but yet you're right. You're almost kind of training for that particular event, which there's different thoughts on whether that translates to the NFL, but it had to be a fun challenge to try to get those guys ready to go. Absolutely. Yeah, it was very unique. I had not done something like that before. Um, and, you know, the where I was working, that was something that, you know, they did. And so I was, you know, lucky to be a part of that. And it was a unique experience for sure. What's it like as someone who spent, gosh, six, seven years in the Pacific Northwest, if not more, you know, working at Seattle, all of a sudden you move out to North Carolina and, and living down here in the Bowie's Creek area and just – kind of even just the weather, kind of the superficial level of weather difference, societal difference. How have you adjusted the last three, four years? I love it, man. It was something that I was uh, kind of looking to do anyway. Um, I had been out this direction for a few uh, seminars and conferences and really enjoyed the heat and the humidity. Um, you know, in Seattle, it's great, man. It's beautiful. The air is fresh. Um However, 
there like the year before I left, uh, I think we had literally like 90 straight days without the sun coming out. And if you've never experienced that, it, it legitimately will take a toll on you. Um, I go into the facility and it was dark and I'd leave and it was dark. You know, it gets dark there are certain times of year, you know, starting at around 4 p.m. So it, you know, I wanted to experience something different and I, you know, I really like it out in this area of the country and it allowed, uh, you know, my wife now and I to, um, you know, purchase a home and, you know, start building towards the future as well. Seattle is also an extremely expensive area of the country. No, no doubt. You definitely took the, uh, the complete opposite side of the country approach. I did much the same. So I, I understand where you're coming from, but I'm always curious, you know, when people make those moves, how it uh, influences them. Alex, you, you no, been, it's awesome. You, you've been all over the country and it's been neat to get to know you these last few years, but I I'm curious because you, you've had some unique jobs and, and unique backgrounds, but one of the areas that I kind of learned this year, I didn't realize as much about you is you've actually had experience both working at breweries and, and at bars as kind of a bartender and, and developing craft beer and working on that stuff. And I know you have an interest in it. So where did that all sort of start for you? And what's it been like the last few years developing that, you know, both professionally and kind of semi-professionally? Man, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, it developed, obviously I was of legal drinking age when it developed. Um, but it was, it's it's a big thing in the Pacific Northwest, or at least it was when I was growing up. It, it was probably one of the leading regions for, uh, you know, craft beer and, and stuff like that. Um, and so it was just something that I was exposed to, right? And I went to UC Riverside. I didn't quite know what I was going to do. And uh, my first job out of college, my first full-time job was actually as a uh, on-premise beer sales rep. I did that for about two years. Uh, and this was before, you know, there's breweries everywhere now in every little city, but this was still when it was kind of booming uh, or not booming where it was still kind of growing. And that's kind of, you know, it continued my passion and it was fun trying to share it with people and getting them to appreciate craft beverages. And, um, you know, from there, it kind of, I left the industry and I wanted to get back into athletics, but, you know, started doing the homebrew thing and, you know, making, making beers with my buddies. And, uh, you know, I judged some homebrew competitions and helped, you know, or, you know, put on and, and judge some beer competitions and things like that. It's just something that has always kind of been a part of my life is something I'm very interested in. Um, you know, just, it, there, it's, it takes a lot of craftsmanship to do things well, and, and I appreciate it. And nowadays, it's just I'm kind of more just a it's just a hobby, but um, definitely something that I, I'm still very interested in and, and part of my life. No, no doubt. Like like anything in life, there, there's a palette forward, and there's kind of that like like you even mentioned, just the interest in whether it's it's coaching or in in this case, you know, selling and developing stuff like that. So it's just it's kind of neat. I, I love your perspective on it. You know, everyone's got their own niche of things they enjoy. So. It, it was yeah it doesn't it, it I, it's kind of weird because sports performance and beer drinking don't really line up but i appreciate the craft and i think that's that's a good point i think you know you see a lot of like having done it and having been in it like the work and the effort that it goes into crafting a high quality product is is very much similar to you know building athletic development if you think about it in that aspect alex and finally and, and so generous with your time i know of course as we get ready for the next sports season, there, there's a little indefinite about time and nature, but once we get back into the speed of things, what is it like just from a ramping up standpoint of, of getting athletes ready to perform 
but also, of course, you're kind of reteaching and you're redeveloping some of those key principles that you started with these kids back in, let's say, March, and now you're trying to get them back up to speed of lifting weights, and it, you obviously you just can't start right away from day one. No, that, and that's a great question. I think um, we are very lucky that the uh, CSCCA and the NATA have put out a joint statement on you know, loading in regards to return, and a lot of effort was put into that. Um, so following you know, similar parameters uh, as suggested by both of those organizations, and then I'm also very lucky that I have had access to um, – catapult GPS uh, tracking systems for two of my teams and then just data tracking longitudinally for women's basketball. I think I'm able to use the percentages that are suggested by both those organizations and look at the outputs that we've had both from an external uh, factor with the GPS and an internal factor with, uh, with just the um, subjective reporting. So I think that'll kind of allow me to at least kind of guide things in the right direction without kind of just making decisions blindly. No doubt. And I know for every sport, there's, there's so much that goes into it. And uh, I really appreciate it, Alex, kind of getting your perspective on developing student athletes and also to sort of the science and the technology behind it. Cause there's a lot more to it than what you see just from the, the end product. So I, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. 